Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, we ask you to bless the words of our sermon so that we may use David's anointing as king to understand Christ's baptism and our own. Then we will be able to more fully see your grace and rejoice in being made citizens of your kingdom. Amen. Our text for our sermon is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I see a king for myself among his sons. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in ancient biblical times, when a man was placed into a very important office, he was publicly anointed, so it was made clear this is the one who fills this office. Today, we swear important people like the office of president. We swear them in to show now this person is acting as our president. And so as we look at David, who's roughly about age 14 at the time, as we look at his anointing today, we also put this baptismal font front and center today. Because in your baptism, you were anointed. You were anointed with the Holy Spirit. You were anointed into an office. You were anointed into being citizens, into a kingdom. And we also look at our Savior's anointing. His anointing that began his public ministry and made it abundantly clear, this man and only this man is the Savior. And so as we put that baptismal font front and center today, looking at David's anointing, we see that David's anointing helps us understand Christ's anointing and our own. Now we have to remember that Samuel really was the last of the judges. And in English today, when we think of a judge, we think of a guy in a robe who pronounces you guilty or not guilty of a crime. That doesn't quite translate the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word really would better in our language, in our culture today, be translated as deliverer. It was in the time before kings that the people of Israel would chase after false gods by one of their neighbors, whether it be Molech or or Baal or or, uh, Dagon, the god of the Philistines. And what God would do then to punish them is he would lift his hand of protection and the people who worship that god as their national god would rule over them. The people would repent and God would send a deliverer to send them away. And as I said, Samuel's really the last of those deliverers of those judges And the people reject him. They want a king. And God tells Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And he gives them a king, King Saul. And Saul starts out as an all right king, but we've got to remember, he's leading Israel. This is a spiritual nation that is supposed to show the coming of the Savior. And Saul quickly proves himself to be more self-serving and less concerned about the will of God. God rejects him. Samuel's sad. How long are you going to mourn? I've rejected him as king. Get up. i got somebody else for you to anoint. And away he goes. Samuel has a question first. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, unbelievers read this and they say, there it is. God tells you not to lie, but he's telling Samuel to lie. No, he's not. Here in a minute, we're going to hear about consecration. Consecration involved two things. Washing yourself, really three, putting on clean robes, but there's also sacrifices. And you know what? Samuel didn't lie. He did sacrifice that animal. But we also got to understand God was protecting that city and he was protecting David from Saul all in the same case. And so we're told 
Samuel takes that heifer. Verse 3, we're told, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the person I point out to you. Even Samuel doesn't know who that person is at first. God is protecting as he always does. So Samuel did what the Lord had told him to do and went to Bethlehem. Trembling with fear, the elders of the city came to meet him. They said, do you come in peace? He said, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Why would the people be concerned? Do you come in peace? We can deduce. They probably themselves were not completely faithful to the Lord. It was pretty common in those days that people would see the Lord as kind of the state religion. But then, you know, we got our household gods, kind of lucky amulets, if you will, to watch out for us. Here comes the Lord's prophet. Uh Uh-oh. Are we in trouble? Are you here to, to kick us in the rear? What does Samuel say? Consecrate yourselves. If they were worshiping false gods, they had to get rid of them. They were to wash themselves. And we know this uh, when we read in Exodus how Moses consecrated his brother and his nephews into the priesthood. There were sacrifices made. They were to be washed and they put on clean clothes. So there's a consecration that takes place. And later, when all those sons don't work out, we find out David's tending to the fields. David would have to be consecrated too because he'd have come in with a lot of field dust on him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a consecration at David's anointing. And to consecrate the Hebrew word seems it's the same word for for life of sanctification and holiness. It means to be set apart for God's purposes. The people of Bethlehem had to set themselves apart for God's purposes. Jesse and his sons and David would have to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, Jesus had a human nature that was already set apart for God's purposes. That happened when the Holy Spirit took the the egg of the woman, if you will, of Mary, and knit him a sin-free body, a body free of a sinful nature in her womb. But when you think about it, Jesus is, shall we say, adoptive father. His stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter. So again, we can deduce that Jesus would have been a carpenter. Since Joseph is never mentioned again after age 12 when they, when they leave Jesus behind in the temple and lose him, we also can deduce that Joseph has already gone to heaven before Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized. So brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that happens when Jesus is baptized is it's made very clear. Any work of being a carpenter and supporting the family, and Mary had other children, we're told that he had brothers and sisters, that has come to an end. He's now started functioning in his public ministry. He's now saying, I, the Messiah, am here. And he's going to start doing miracles. In fact, the first thing he's going to do is to be let out in the desert to be tempted by the devil so he can stand up to that in our place. So Jesus, at his baptism, there's a consecration. You are now beginning your earthly public ministry. Guess what? Your baptism also consecrated you. Your baptism was God's ceremony in which he swore you into his kingdom. You live in this world, but you're an alien in this world. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. And whether you're a nurse or a carpenter, or we go through all the professions, you're set aside even in those vocations as God's holy people, citizens of his kingdom. 
You live your life in this world subject to decay as those who say, there's a better kingdom. In fact, when you were consecrated, you began your work as God's priest, hearing the word and telling others the good news of salvation in Christ. And so our text continues. When they had come, he looked at Eliab and said, certainly this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or how tall he is, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things the way man does. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, is that all of the young men? Jesse said, there still is the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send for him, for we cannot sit down to eat until he comes. He sent for him and brought him in. David had red hair and striking eyes and was good looking. The Lord said, get up, anoint him, because this is the one. A few things we have to understand. All the other sons, and you know, Eliab, the first one brought forward, he's the oldest, he's the most mature, and he looks kingly. But it's not that David didn't look kingly. Like I said, we guess roughly David's probably about age 14 when this happens. So he doesn't quite look like an adult yet. He's a teenager. Who would you pick? The adult mature one? Or the kid that dad left behind to take care of the sheep? Because one of them had to look out for them. Now, God says right away with Eliab, do not look at his appearance or how tall he is because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things the way man does. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Many people take this and they just think God is saying, don't judge a book by its cover. I can read the book. You can't. No, that's not what God's saying. There's more to it than meets the eye is what God is saying. And it has more to do even just with personalities. Because God could have made Eliab have a good, clean heart full of faith with the Holy Spirit and made him the king. It really boils down to predestination, brothers and sisters in Christ. We scratch our heads and we say, well, why me? I'm a rotten, sinful person. Why me and not my neighbor? We can't understand it. The best you and I have to go by is what we can judge by our senses, by the scientific method. One of the better explanations I have for this is the Lord's Supper. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday. You will taste bread. You will drink wine. You will see bread and you will drink wine. And if you're an unbeliever, that's all it is to you. But through the eyes of faith, you trust God's promise. There's more there. How it can be? It defies the laws of science. We know that God promises it's there. And so we say, by a supernatural presence, I receive the body and blood of the Lord. So, what man sees doesn't, it isn't usually what God goes by at all. And we often miss the mark because of it. Let's apply this to our Savior. Jesus is born not to a king. They wanted a king who would rule everything. He's born to a woman who is a descendant of David. It appears uh, in, by Luke's genealogy. And, but the Jews wouldn't care about that. It would be the adoptive father that matters. And Matthew makes it clear that Joseph was a descendant of David. But nobody sat on David's throne for 500 years. It was insignificant. Is that who you would pick to be the Messiah? No. An average looking guy. We're never told that Jesus was handsome. We're never told that he was ugly. He just was an average Joe, average looking Jew man. And we are told in 1 Peter, who is quoting out of the Psalms, 
The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Men wanted an earthly king to fill their stomachs. God, before he said, let there be light, knowing all things, had planned that he would take on human flesh and be the king of the invisible church. He is the king of all creation. He would be the kind of king he would be anointed to be our savior. This isn't what men would have gone by, not by man's judgment, but God's judgment. Now let's take a look at you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. In your baptism, God said something to you. He said, unless you fight like there's no tomorrow to run away from me, in your being baptized, one of the things I'm doing, besides swearing you into my kingdom, the invisible church, when you're in my kingdom, I'm telling you, I predestined you. Why me and not my neighbor? God says, that's none of your business. Is it that I would have a better faith and resist the Holy Spirit less? Absolutely not. It's pure grace. I can let it bother me. You can let it bother you, but it's not meant to. It's meant to comfort you so that when you look ahead in life and you say, what if I get a disease like Alzheimer's and I have dementia really bad? God says, it's okay. I've got you. I've predestined you. And by being baptized, I've shown you. I have chosen you. I planned it out that you would come to that font. And so we see David's anointing helps us understand Christ in our own. There's a consecration. And in all cases... Chosen by God's judgment, not mankind's. Then we're told in verse 13, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord rushed on David with power from that day forward. After that, Samuel set out and returned to Ramah. David got the Holy Spirit. To lead God's people, God wanted him to be a spiritual leader and example. Sadly, David's going to have a pretty bad incident in his life in which he commits adultery and then commits murder to cover it up. God sends the prophet Nathan to restore him back to his faith. But God gave him that Holy Spirit to do his work of leading God's people as their king. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you received that Holy Spirit in your baptism. If you were like me and baptized as an infant, that Holy Spirit was sealed in your heart and the new man was created. If you're like others who are brought to faith later on in your life, God sent his word to you. You were brought to faith and then he gave you that Holy Spirit, sealing him in your heart to keep you there in your faith. And there's wonderful blessing that comes with that. Just as the spirit gave David spiritual gifts needed. So God has given you spiritual gifts to serve in his kingdom as you function as his priest, as his ambassador. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. We have to remember that when Jesus took on human flesh, he didn't make full use of all the powers of his deity, even though all the time he was 100% God and 100% man. And so not using all of his deity, he'd be able to go to that cross for you and I. Not using all the powers, not revealing all of it. So he's given the Holy Spirit as prophesied by Isaiah to give him the spiritual assistance that he would need not using all of his godhood. A special gift, just as you and I receive in our baptism. The descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus, especially John the Baptist in that being able to see it would know this is the one. This is the one anointed to be Savior. And immediately after that, the Holy Spirit led him out to the desert where he would be, he'd be there for 40 days fasting and he would be tempted by the devil and stand up to that as our substitute. 
So here again, David's anointing helps us understand Christ in our own because in all cases, that is an anointing for an office with the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. The last point I want to bring up in today's sermon is what's not stated in the text. Did you notice that we're never told that anybody was told other than Samuel that David was being anointed to be king? We're never told that Samuel pulled him aside and said, by the way, kid, God's protecting you right now from Saul, and and so you need to know that you're being king, but keep it hush-hush. Best way to keep a secret is to not know the secret. People would have known that Samuel had anointed David into something big. Saul eventually figures it out because everything that David touches, God blesses. And Saul recognizes Dave's a powerful general. David probably didn't understand what he was being anointed into that day. It didn't matter. He'd later figure it out. God would reveal it to him. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our analogy, I want you to know that Christ always understood what was going on. He knew when he took on that human flesh what was going on. He knew when he was age 12, he, had a, he didn't have a sinful nature, so he was able to sit and learn the Scriptures. As God, he knew them, but he's holding some of that back so he could learn the Scriptures for you and I, and he didn't have a sinful nature as an obstacle, a sinful nature that would make him immediately forget or lose the connections. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that night when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane beforehand, what was going to happen on Friday. And he wasn't shirking away, but he said, Dad, this is going to be painful. If there's another way, let's do that. But not my will, your will be done. He had no intentions of shirking away from saving you. So Jesus was no bumbling Messiah. And I point that out because lots of times when you listen to, to pastors who don't believe God's words actually inspired and they get to the point where they don't believe in the virgin birth, they see Jesus. If you've ever watched the Pink Panther mysteries where Inspector Clouseau is a bumbling idiot, they don't even realize it, but that's what they make Jesus to be. So example, the feeding of the 5,000, he gets some kid to share his lunch and then it encourages everybody to share and the people deny a miracle. If everybody had food, Jesus wouldn't have worried about feeding them. Jesus knew that he was true God and true man. He didn't make full use of that, but Jesus always understood what was going on. David might not have, Jesus did, and you and I, we have that too. People say you can't bring a child to the baptismal font because they don't understand what's going on. Well, Peter on Pentecost Sunday said in his sermon, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, the people said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, resulting in the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift, which is the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children. But a child doesn't understand. Like David, if David didn't know he was being king that day, being anointed king doesn't matter. I was one of those children. Through instruction, through Sunday school, through catechism, through adult Bible study, through sermons, God made it clear. I've even heard of spouses. They marry a Christian. They can't get their Christian spouse to stop nagging them. So they go through the Bible information class, the membership class. They lie and they claim they believe in it because it gets their spouse off their back. And they come to the baptismal font. And they come away believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, generally we don't want it to happen that we know somebody doesn't believe in it. So we baptize them. But what I'm getting at here is whether it be an adult or a child, they might not understand it at first. It doesn't matter. 
just like David. They still got the Holy Spirit. They're still anointed to be citizens of God's kingdom. And so in our text today, we've seen David anointing helps us understand Christ and our own. There is a consecration. David was set aside. The people were set aside. Jesus was set aside to begin his public ministry. You were set aside to be a priest. You're chosen by God's judgment, not mankind's judgment. You're anointed for an office with the spirit as David was, as Jesus. It made clear this is the Messiah. And for you, you're a priest and you're in God's kingdom. And while Jesus did understand it, David might not have understood it. You might not have understood it at first. But you still got the Holy Spirit. God still is working for you through that baptism. Amen. Now rise, faint hearts, be resolute. This man is Christ, our substitute, who was baptized in Jordan's stream, proclaimed Redeemer, Lord Supreme. Amen.